Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 250. It's May 23rd, 2016. So episode 250, I mean, that's a big round number. 250 podcasts in just under 10 years. I want to, again, give thanks to my good friend and, and mentor, Norman Bodek, who was my first guest, and he's been a frequent guest on this podcast. He gave me the idea for this back in 2006. Now, my goal with the podcast has always been to showcase my guests and let them do most of the talking. Uh, occasionally, I'll take the stage here, I guess, or share the stage with audio of myself. And, and today is going to be one of those episodes. Um, earlier in May, I had the chance to present a webinar with Dr. Jack Billy from the University of Michigan. And you can find a link to the recording of that webinar by going to leanblog.org slash 250. That webinar was hosted by the Physician Consortium for Performance Improvement, which is being spun off from the American Medical Association. Now, before the formal webinar, Jack and I recorded some informal Q&A with the host, Stephen Davidow. This audio, which is shared with the permission of PCPI, also includes the Q&A that was done after the formal webinar presentation. So I hope you enjoy our discussion about how we each got started with lean and healthcare and many other topics. So again, for the uh, blog post for this episode with links and, and to learn more about Dr. Billy, see a couple videos of him, uh, I would invite you to go to leanblog.org slash 250. Thanks for listening. Um, as a physician, uh, you know, it'd be curious to, we'd be curious to know how you first got introduced to lean and improvement work. And uh, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so this is Jack Billy, and uh, I think like a lot of physicians, I'm a uh, sort of compulsive, lifelong problem solver. You know, I never found a problem uh, that I didn't want to go tackle. And um, in my own, even my early clinical time, even when I was a resident in the late 70s, uh, I would be um, looking at uh, the way our clinic worked or the way the inpatient wards work and... Um, thinking about what are the problems that we're seeing and what might we try uh, in order to make it better. Um, so my original work was in uh, cost containment, decreasing uh, uh, length of stay and decreasing costs in inpatient medicine services. And, um, you know, we, we ran simple experiments uh, to try to uh, do that kind of work. And then later I discovered that there is a science to scientific problem solving. And uh, once I uh, was exposed to lean thinking, all of a sudden it, uh, it all clicked. It all made sense to me. This is what I had been trying to do um, informally and without training all along. And so that's been like, uh, like coming home, like uh, discovering uh, what I was meant to do in life. And so uh, at that point, I uh, decided I wanted to spend my uh, life uh, trying to, um, as I've said before, drag one academic medical center kicking and screaming across the quality chasm. Uh, and so, uh, and then I've been working on it more or less um, for the majority of my professional activity for probably the last eight uh, to ten years. Okay. And Mark, why don't you uh, go ahead and Talk to us about how you made the transition into healthcare. Sure. You know, my 
You know, I won't spend too much time on my, my earliest, earliest start with Lean because I think it's a less surprising path being a, an industrial engineer, growing up around Detroit, starting in the auto industry and working in manufacturing. But, you know, I, my interest in Lean Healthcare first got peaked in about 2004. I was working in Phoenix for uh, the last manufacturing company I ended up working for. We had a local sort of lean networking group of people from different companies, um, Honeywell, Medtronic, Intel, and, and some others. And we would, we would take turns kind of, you know, visiting each other on a quarterly basis and talking about lean. And one of those quarterly visits was actually a trip over to one of the hospitals in Scottsdale where uh, two women had left Motorola and they were bringing lean and Six Sigma methods into the emergency department and, and solving some other problems in that hospital. And so that, that's what got me interested in it. Um, back then in, in 2005, uh, and uh, came across an opportunity to transition into healthcare um, where I, I took a job working for a consulting group that was part of Johnson & Johnson in uh, their lab equipment business, which is no longer part of J&J. But you know, for my first four years in, in healthcare, um, I was working as as consultant to medical laboratories, hospital labs, other hospital departments, because you know as as we you know I think you know proved out in our work, lean is lean. Um, you know, people in a lab would would say, well, you know, we're we're different than a car factory. Well, you know, you find lean does apply and solve problems in medical labs. And as we moved in other parts of the hospital, they would say, well, you know, we're not like the lab, we're different. Um, but, you know, again, you know, as we'll talk about in the webinar, lean is not about building cars. It's really about leading people, solving problems. Like Jack said, that's what really makes it very transferable um, across industries. I feel fortunate to have had that chance to get involved in healthcare. I think uh, one of the fascinating uh, observations from my perspective, this is Jack Billy again, is that, um, you know, if Toyota were running a hospital, they would not be using the same tools and strategies exactly that are used in terms of improving manufacturing. And that's what makes it so exciting is that in every uh, industry, in every different work setting you go, there are different variations of how you help workers understand and improve their work. And um, so the, the, uh, the flexibility uh, of it is just immense. Um, now, you know, when someone discovers a good way of analyzing a particular type of work, like an unlevel workflow, that's, that, you know, that's exciting. It should be the information should be spread, should be made available to others, so collaborative learning can take place. But it's the concept of I get to design how I'm going to analyze my work and improve it, I think that makes this uh, so powerful. Mm -hmm. and, and this is Mark again, you know, just building on that. I think the common thread across different settings, you say, well, what would Toyota do? We, we can look and see what Toyota um, actually does. They have a group called the TSSC, which works with, you know, it was designed, it was founded to work with Toyota suppliers to help them become lean, if you will, to embrace uh, the Toyota production system methods. Well, that TSSC group often does volunteer pro bono work with different organizations and there's a great video case study that they've published about how Toyota people worked with UCLA 
Harbor Medical Center and uh, an eye clinic. And, you know, the one common theme and, and part of what makes it lean is that Toyota didn't come in as the outside expert saying, we're going to fix you. As, as Jack was saying, it's more about Toyota coming in and teaching people how to see their own work and the patient experience differently and kind of facilitating and coaching people to improve their own processes. And, and that's a big part of, I think, how this, this approach is respectful. Uh, it's patient-centered. It engages staff instead of telling them how to do their work. And, and I think that's, you know, that's how I would want to see anybody trying to help a hospital system, whether it's internally or as an outside um, coach or, or facilitator. Don't come in and be the expert. Get others involved. People in healthcare are very dedicated, very smart, very creative. You teach them a few lean principles, and, and they can really redesign, reinvent the way they do what they do. Uh, this is Jack, and um, uh, for those who've joined, uh, we're just having a little informal chat before uh, the webinar starts at the top of the hour. Uh, this is Jack Billy, and uh, I'm joined by Stephen Davidow and uh, Mark Grayban. Uh, and before we kick off, rather than just having silence on the line, we're just uh, uh, chatting uh, a little bit about uh, the sort of origins. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to go visit the uh, hospital in uh, Toyota City, um, and it was really quite interesting um, because uh, they had the actually the hospital had evolved without necessarily using very much of what might be called Toyota production system. But shortly after I had gotten there, they had a new uh, leader who had come out of the manufacturing area who was uh, bringing more of those principles in, and uh, things that a U.S. hospital would never let happen were happening there. Like they would have clinic rooms that were uh, unutilized for part of the day because, well, the surgeons were in the OR and then they were in the clinic. So they, um, instead of trying to optimize every resource, they tried to understand what were the key pathways that their patients went through and made sure that there were um, there was smooth flow without uh, waiting and without rework on those processes. So it was, it was quite eye-opening. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to interject, Jack. This is Mark Raven again. Um, I, I, I've had a chance to visit um, four different hospitals in Japan, not the one in Toyota City, but I, I posted a link here in the, in the chat for everybody. Very recently, um, a friend and colleague of mine, Katie Anderson, who uh, has been part of Stanford Healthcare and some other organizations. Jack, you, you may have met her through the Healthcare Value Network. She's been living in Japan for the past year, and she very recently visited that hospital and has been blogging about her visit there. It sounds like the hospital has been taking more specific um, steps to, to embrace lean and the Toyota production system. And, you know, they focus on, um, you know, the, the continuous improvement of medical quality, focusing on customer or patient satisfaction, and, you know, doing so by developing and building people, which is, yeah. of course, very mm -hmm. Toyota view of yeah, this is Jack Billy. My visit was uh, quite a ways back, so uh, I'm sure things had changed. And um, I was uh, there was actually nothing for me to criticize there. It was this was Toyota Hospital many years back, and they um, it's just they had come up with different solutions than the standard American uh, model of um, use every 
piece of machinery and every every MRI, every CT, every exam room, every OR, you know, work it to death essentially, uh, trying to jam more through it. Um, yeah, so. and, and that's a very typical lean view. The focus shifts from efficiency, which generally means keep everybody busy or keep every machine busy. The focus shifts to flow and quality. And, you know, you think of, uh, you know, an emergency department. You, you, I think, ideally, you need some slack capacity to absorb, um, you know, slightly unusually high demand. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of times hospitals err on the side of sending people home early because the, the patient volume isn't there. You know, a Toyota plant, I think I can say very definitively, would never save money in the short term by sending people home early. Um, they, they take a longer-term view where, so, you know, we'll, we'll pay people uh, to be trained, to do quality improvement, to do continuous improvement, um, investing a little bit more in the future. So, again, you know, one of the, if you look at the two pillars of what Toyota describes as the Toyota production system, they talk about flow, improving flow, and improving quality. The word efficiency is really not directly in there. And I think yeah. that's, that's one thing that's hard for people to uh, get their heads wrapped around. Yeah, so this is Jack Billy. For those who just joined us by phone, um, we're, this is Mark Grayban, Jack Billy, and Stephen Davida, who are having a conversation waiting until the top of the hour when the webinar will start. <clears throat> and Mark was just talking about um, that this concept of uh, that uh, it's not uh, often helpful to make sure every person and every workstation is completely busy all the time. That's a model of point optimization, uh, but it doesn't necessarily improve the flow. And I have an example from uh, our own uh, cath lab. Uh, so we may, uh, when we try to get a patient with a heart attack into the cath lab to get the artery opened within 90 minutes, so-called door-to-balloon time, um, one of the things that happens is if a second patient comes in, there's often no place uh, to move that first patient to uh, because they would have to go to a, a coronary intensive care unit. And because the census might have been low in the coronary intensive care unit, a nurse was sent home uh, essentially without pay. Um, and so as a result, they saved a small amount of money on that shift. Uh, but it's an example of what you described, which is now all of a sudden we've got an, uh, an event where uh, we've got a patient in our emergency room um, that needs to get the um, uh, urgent uh, coronary angioplasty, and there's no place to move the person in the bed. So we move them out into the hall, and they're monitored in a not necessarily safe setting by, you know, personnel who aren't really the right ones to do it uh, in order to get that second uh, artery open in time. So, um, you know, there's lots of examples in healthcare of trying to optimize uh, your little area, but in fact, you slow the whole uh, show down. So we're just uh, waiting another five minutes until we get to the top of the hour, six minutes uh, um, before this opens up. Jack, this is Stephen. If yes. I might ask a question, I think Please. this has been a great conversation so far. But I would be curious, uh, and you may address it in your presentation in a few minutes, but I was just thinking about what you view or has been from your perspective and, and also, Mark, in terms of what you've seen on the ground. But what have been your greatest past challenges in either using lean or implementing lean or just in general quality improvement work in the healthcare environment? 
So this is Jack. I'll take a quick stab, give uh, Mark a chance to think. Uh, but um, for me, the uh, flavor of the month, the program of the month is the biggest uh, challenge, um, what I call the cork helmet, which is uh, managers, um, whether they're physicians who are leaders of a clinical area or administrative managers or nurse managers, um, they have to wear a cork helmet to work because uh, the senior leaders in an organization can barrage new programs down upon them, uh, a program related to improving financial performance, to improving customer service, a uh, program uh, to improve uh, throughput through the emergency department, a program uh, to uh, improve uh, the way that um, we engage our employees, a program in change management. And instead of uh, developing the management system, in the organization so that these become priorities of the leaders. Instead, there's a new branded program for each of those things. So if you're, if you're the leader at the top, it looks pretty clear. I've got my priority and here's my program I'm rolling down to improve safety, CLABSI, CAUTI, um, or improve access in the clinic. But if you're the manager at the local level who has to balance safety, quality, timeliness, finances, and people engagement, then all these things are just disparate programs that you have to somehow integrate. So, Mark, uh, so, that, so it's overburden, which is contributed to by uh, the, um, the almost infinite supply of new initiatives that leaders can toss down on an organization. Mark, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of that, too. Um, cynicism or healthy skepticism about how, you know, how is Lean going to be different? Um, you know, people say, well, you know, we tried things like this before. It was called TQM or it was called reengineering or it was called Six Sigma or it was called whatever. And I think, you know, sometimes people very sincerely ask, you know, how, how do we know it's going to be different this time before we invest our, our, our time and invest in this emotionally? And so I think related to that, you know, there's, I think there's two other really common problems. One is uh, leaders not freeing up time or allowing time for people to work on improvement. We can't just, you know, train people and then not give them time to improve or the support that's needed. That's, that's going to be demoralizing. And I, I think there's another common challenge where I think um, healthcare leaders misunderstand lean and they think, well, this, this is, or they misunderstand the problem that lean is addressing and they sort of think, well, th this is about fixing the employees so they work more efficiently. Right. Well, wait a minute. You know, we, we also, we, we need to, I think, primarily change the way we manage. And it's not about fixing the employees. So I think as with all things, you know, change starts by looking in the mirror. And right. That has been most successful. Yeah, famous uh, management guide uh, book that uh, feels quite hefty, but you open it up and there's just a mirror inside. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you are the only person you can change. Um, so, I, you know, I, I agree. Uh, but overburden of healthcare professionals is ubiquitous, and of course, some of it is contributed to by the um, the leaders and just the way our system works. But you know, you don't have enough time to fix the problem that is causing you to do all the rework that's making you feel so overburdened. I mean, that's the uh, the tragedy, but it's also the way out. As you start to make small amount of time to do improvement work. You have 10 minutes a day, then you have 20 minutes, then you have 30 minutes, and you can bootstrap your way into a better, um, a better way of working. Thanks. Yeah. In your experience, has uh, improvement work gotten easier uh, to do? Uh, 
Let me let me address that um, first. This is Mark. Yes, I mean, I, you know, my co-author for my healthcare kaizen book about continuous improvement. If you go to his his health system in Indianapolis, you, you don't see people who quote unquote hate change. Like they're they're quite enthusiastic about it, and they took this approach that Jack mentioned of starting small. You build confidence, you build skills, you start taking on bigger challenges. It, it gets easier if you start small and if. I think you also need somebody kind of coaching you so you can get better as you go. Yeah, we were talking about this just uh, in some training we're running this week about I have never heard anyone say, you know, I scoped that problem too small. <laughs> it's, um, so it's, uh, you know, focus, focus, focus. I like to use the environmental movement. Uh, think globally, act locally. Um, you know, you make a, a small win and then you let the success uh, speak for itself. Um, as John Shook once said, I don't mind skepticism. That's, you know, that's part of the scientific method, which is I'm not sure this is going to work here. I'm going to run an experiment to see if it's true. But that's quite different than cynicism. When you're cynical, you're actually, in a way, kind of rooting for it not to work. And you see, I told you so uh, kind of maneuver. So, you know, but people are cynical in healthcare. Not everyone, of course, but a few, uh, because they've seen so many initiatives and uh, programs, you know, with a mug and a slogan and banners and uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I think it's mis widely misunderstood. I mean, you can do any old garbage work and call it lean. So there is a, also that challenge that, um, you know, people can badmouth this philosophy without really understanding it or describing it correctly. Okay, as we... Uh wait for some questions to come in from our listening audience. I thought I'd go ahead and um, ask a question of you uh, both uh, to kind of kick things off. And it really ties into uh, some of the conversation we were having uh, before we started the webinar. But I uh, wanted to uh, – you, you touched on it, Dr. Billy, and that is uh, that you often uh, will encounter a cynical physician in implementing some improvement work wanted to see what some of your thoughts are on and how do you um, talk with or work with uh, people who are cynical about using lean or doing improvement work and how do you bring them around? Yeah, so um, it, it, uh, Stephen, it ends up, this is Jack Billy, it ends up I, in my experience being special cause variation. In other words, uh, every person um, uh, that I meet who has um, a particular prejudice or perspective about this um, it, it, it really has it, I think, from a different cause. It may be that they've been burned by a process before. There was some improvement effort in the past, and all it did was remove some of his or her staff and without taking any of the work away. So the work of four people is now done by three in their, you know, inefficient model. And someone came in and called that, you know, improvement or, um, you know, labeled it this, this kind of work. So, um, so we have to find out what their past experiences have been. Uh, the second thing is that I always try and find something about the current state that they don't like that's aligned with where the organization or their unit needs to go. Um, so, you know, doctors here all day long, you know, you'll work harder and this will be better for the patient or better for the staff. And look at the electronic health record, which has uh, saddled a lot of our clinicians with a lot more time um, that they have to spend just to get the same work done. So, um, so physicians are understandably um, skeptical about things. So, um, so I, and the other 
the other aspect that I try and use is what is a what would a pilot look like? How could, could we try this? Could we try this in one exam room? Could we try this for one morning? Could we try it for two hours? Um, you know, what could happen? You know, blow up, uh, catch fire? Uh, you know, how, how bad could that be? And so, so I always try and scope things so there's some of their, their pain that's in it so that they realize this might actually help them solve a problem uh, that they've been uh, challenged with. Um, and so, uh, and the other thing is, uh, the time factor. So uh, when you feel like you're drowning, uh, it's not the time for people to say, well, I have this swim class you can take. Uh, so um, so what I, uh, I follow the advice of one of my mentors, Dave Lahote, that uh, lean never works when it's extra work done to you. It only works when it's the way you work and you do it yourself. So trying to help people see how this can work into uh, their job flow. What's the small experiment that my medical assistant and I can try today and see if that makes things better or not? And if it doesn't work, then we'll try something else uh, the next mm -hmm. time I'm there. Yeah, and, and this is Mark. I, I just wanted to add, um, you know, most of everything you say about physicians about change or lean or cynical, you, you can apply that to pharmacists, medical technologists, um, almost any, you know, nurses, almost any role in, in the hospital. I, I don't think there's really, uh, you know, uniquely resistant personalities among physicians. I mean, I think any time, like Jack was saying, when, when change is being forced on people, they're going to be resistant. And so Lean gives us a different approach of engaging them in deciding what needs to be improved for the sake of the patients or for themselves and how we're going to go about improving it. That makes, that makes all the difference. This is not top-down command and control decision-making. Lean is the alternative to that. Yeah, in fact, um, uh, I once heard uh, someone say, uh, it's not that people don't like change, it's that people don't like being changed. Mm -hmm. The question is, what's your agency in this? If you're the one designing the experiments, how, do you have an idea of how this could work better? You notice, so, you know, my, my most famous example uh, that tells a lot about me probably is my, my 8 o'clock patient uh, was never in the room on time. My 8 o'clock patient's never there. The next time I'm in clinic, 8 o'clock patient's not there. So I finally asked my medical assistant, Todd, I said, why is my 8 o'clock patient not there? He said, I don't know. I don't come in till 9. And so um, I, uh, you know, I didn't know enough about my own clinical operation uh, in order to be able to help solve that problem. So I worked with him, and he figured out a way that he'd be able to make sure that my 8 o'clock patient always was in on time and the problem got solved. But it had to do with my going and seeing, my asking why, and my showing respect uh, that he really understands. You know, the, the, the real challenge sometimes for physicians is they're, some, in some instances, they're used to being the boss. They're used to telling people what to do. And um, this is a model in which we have deep respect for the people who are closest to the work because they understand this work the best. And if they try their idea and it's not perfect, they'll tune it. They'll tweak it. Uh, they'll try something else. And then when the new requirement comes along and all of a sudden the clinic uh, or the outpatient um, demand increases a lot or we have a flu epidemic or whatever, they've learned how to solve the problem so they can uh, kick into that problem-solving mode. They don't have to wait for the master problem solver, the office manager or the PO uh, 
uh, leader or the physician head of practice to come in and solve the problems for him. So I see there are some questions coming in. Uh, you probably uh, see, uh, Stephen. Yes, I do. Um, our first question is, uh, do you have any advice on translating clinical or operational improvements to financial benefits? So uh, this is Jack. Uh, I think that's really a critical issue, you know, and there's different philosophies on this. Uh, you know, Paul O'Neill uh, from Alcoa, who then worked in the Pittsburgh uh, Regional Health Coalition, um, tried to make Alcoa the safest company in the world. And the financial benefits that accrued as a result of all of the improvement work that was needed to make that aluminum company an extremely safe company uh, caused them to increase their financial performance tremendously. So to some extent, um, uh, you know, one philosophy is when you take care of uh, all the, if you're working on the right problems, problems related to the overall um, quality, safety, and throughput the right strategic issues, mm -hmm. then the improvements that accrue uh, will actually uh, sort of fall out of the bottom. On mm -hmm. the other hand, um, there's been many examples of uh, successful uh, lean um, deployments in healthcare organizations where all of a sudden they had a negative bottom line, uh, often unrelated to the work they'd been doing. And as a result, because the lean um, uh, deployment, the decentralized scientific problem solving wasn't uh, sort of well enough tied to the financial outcomes, uh, that's resulted in, uh, um, in uh, a disruption in the program and essentially in some instances abandoning it. Yeah. This is Mark. I just want to add to that. You know, another way of saying it is that I think in the lean approach, cost or the bottom line is seen as the end result of doing everything else well. You know, that there, there's been too much focus, and I say this having an MBA, there's, there's too much focus on cost, cost, cost. And as Jack showed in that slide, there's got to be a balanced scorecard of focusing on safety, quality, patient flow, staff engagement. If you can address those things, uh, financial performance usually follows. Now, you know, there's, there's quirky things, you know, in our American reimbursement system where I, I know of hospitals that have done great work for the patient. They've used lean problem-solving methods to reduce early elective C-sections, and that's right for the mother, that's right for the baby, but that meant fewer NICU days because fewer babies were being born early with problems, and fewer NICU days means less reimbursement for the hospital. So the challenge would be to say, well, all right, well we need to absorb that financial hit by finding other ways we can reduce waste and reduce cost in a way that's not counterproductive or you know, a lean thinker would never focus on cost reduction at the expense of quality. Um, so I think one other final point I'd make is, you know, when we try to engage people in healthcare, saying, hey, everyone, we need to reduce costs, usually falls on, on deaf ears or it doesn't inspire people. When we can talk to people about improving safety, reducing waiting times, improving the patient experience, more often than not, doing those things engages people and does lead uh, to better financial performance. Yeah, so I don't want to, so this is Jack, I completely agree, Mark, that, um, you know, the cost, the financial stewardship should be a result of the uh, mm -hmm. good work improving safety, quality, and timeliness, but um, right. I think that it is appropriate to be 
measuring it along the way because sure. um, you know there's there there will be a CFO and they are going to look at mm-hmm. it and as I said uh, uh, earlier uh, you know Lee Kaiser the futurist used to say there are two kinds of businesses for profit and going out of and so uh, we want to make mm-hmm. sure that we keep our uh, organizations uh, financially. Uh, sound, but in the uh, um, uh, slide that's showing now, uh, we've taken some time to try and do these in order, and this is just uh, a knockoff of what's often done in manufacturing, safety, quality, delivery, cost, morale. But uh, first, we don't want to hurt anybody. Not only we don't want to hurt any patients, we don't want to hurt any workers. We don't want to hurt any research subjects, any students, any family members, any suppliers. And then first-time quality, we're going to do the right thing the right way the first time. Uh, then timeliness. Access is a horrendous problem in many healthcare organizations. How do we make sure that we're, uh, that we're focused on that? But in order, we won't improve timeliness by sacrificing safety or quality. Uh, and then the financial stewardship, should, we should be paying attention to that. And the only way to do those first four things, because there are so many processes and they're so complicated and have so many different people who are involved in them, is through the creativity of the workers um, rather than the uh, sort of experts, consultants from the outside who come in and say, oh, this is what our benchmarking showed that uh, this system worked better, uh, you know, at XYZ uh, health system, so you should implement that here. Really? So what do the people say when those external uh, benchmark solutions are brought in? They say, you know, my ideas don't count for anything. Uh, you know, and I hope they come back because we have more problems here. Uh, so, you know, this is about empowering the people to solve their own problems. Thanks. Yeah, and my, my final point, you know, I think we're in agreement that, yes, you, you should measure costs, but just don't make it a primary or only goal. Good. Okay. Thank you. Our next question is kind of going in a slightly different direction, but I think a really valuable one, and that is, can you speak to the thought of embedding lean training into medical school curricula? Yeah, thanks very much for that question, Don. Um, the, uh, uh, we have um, at the University of Michigan uh, for the last um, about eight years run an elective for second-year medical students where we teach them um, lean. It's an elective, so it's only taken by about a tenth of the class. Uh, but we have three sessions, and it's all hands-on learning. You don't learn it sitting in a classroom. You learn it by doing it. So they do a Lego-simulated ER. Uh, they follow nurses around, identifying waste and then feeding back. And then they uh, do a brief A3, two hours of uh, working on an A3 problem solving. Then I have a fourth-year elective uh, that um, where anywhere from one to three medical students works with us, with us for a month and focuses intensively on A3 problem solving. So the ones that just finished this past Friday, one of them did what's called curbside consult, uh, where you're just getting advice about a patient from a specialist, but there's no record, uh, no electronic record, there's no exam of the patient, and what are the problems that uh, come up, and why does that happen so often? Um, And uh, the second one did patients who were admitted from the emergency room, um, and only some of their orders have uh, been uh, carried out in the ER before they get up to an inpatient bed. Which one? Did they get their vancomycin? Uh, did they cast the patient? Did they change their uh, suprapubic tube? Uh, what actually happened? But they focused, uh, the first one was only on curbside consults of pediatric pulmonary because they wanted to make a clean instance of the problem. And the second one was uh, 
the uh, delayed admissions for urology. So we're uh, one of the places that has an AMA uh, grant uh, to redesign curriculum, and we're currently working with the folks that are in charge of the curriculum uh, to see how we can uh, do this more broadly. As a matter of fact, just last month we did, uh, for the first time ever, training of uh, all 170 first-year medical students in A3 um, uh, using an example of a uh, broken uh, emergency room process. So they worked in small groups with facilitators. So we're trying to infiltrate the curriculum. I'm tired of sending uh, students out into the world who can't solve their way out of a paper bag. Um, we're also working at the resident level. Um, we have a variety of experimental models going on across most of the residencies and fellowships in our health system, uh, training um, the uh, residents to uh, work on real practice problems using scientific problem solving. Uh, one of them worked on why they can't get advanced directives routinely uh, collected on the Friday morning internal medicine residence clinic in my clinic. You know, that was his uh, narrow focus, focus, focus. And then, um, and so, and we work with faculty. We're a, a maintenance of certification portfolio uh, site. And so one of our faculty members, Grant Greenberg, and uh, uh, Van Harrison, another, are working on a model uh, to be able to um, have doctors punch their maintenance of certification for ticket by doing valuable quality improvement work collaboratively uh, here in the organization. So I know MOC is controversial, but we've tried to uh, take advantage of that to actually get some real work done and teach our physicians uh, some quality improvement work. So medical education is a big frontier for us, and we're, we're trying to make small contributions. And other medical schools across the country are doing similar work uh, as well. There's actually uh, Integrating Quality, or IQ. It's a program run by the Association of American Medical Colleges uh, that has folks uh, working on getting quality improvement into the curriculum. Thanks. Well, gentlemen, we're at the top of the hour. And I think it'll be time to close things out. Um, I want to thank you uh, for uh, your time today. I think this has been really a great uh, session. And uh, I know we have a few, a couple of questions that didn't get answered. We might be able to uh, respond to those in writing and post mm -hmm. them after the webinar. We talked about that. Yep. Uh, uh, I'd be glad to do that. And if I, anyone else has questions and they do want to jot them down, if the chat room stays open briefly, um, uh, Stephen, that that would allow them to do that, and I think Mark and I would be uh, honored to just uh, put yeah. a few reflections down on those and then post that along with the webinar. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks or, so much or, for the opportunity. It's been tremendous. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, everyone, for attending. Our email addresses are up on screen if you want to reach out to one or both of us with any other questions. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Have great. a great day. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.